Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening, good afternoon, wherever you're at in the world. It is Monday, August 15th, 2022, and welcome to His Heart Line for another episode of the EDU Spot. We are going to be reading out of the Training Manual 2000-25. This would be part 11, and it is going to be about the purpose of government. And so if you're reading along, if you've watched, uh, listened into other shows in the past, um, you'll have, you'll see that there was a link that leads to the PDF file of the training manual 2000-25 that was released by the War Department back in 19, oh, I always get these dates mixed up, uh, either 28 or 29. I'm going to go on a limb and say it was 1929. And so um, anyway, so if you're reading along on the PDF, we're going to be starting on page 82. And in the training manual, it is technically considered section eight, but for the episode purposes, because of the reading, this is actually part 11. So again, welcome. Glad to have you here. I am Jason, your co-host. So let's get rocking and rolling. All right. So the purpose, excuse me, the progress of government. Now, in the beginning of human history, with needs and wants limited to food and shelter, man's dominating impulse was the preservation of life. His social instinct led to the establishment of families, groups, and tribes, transmitting habits, traditions, customs, and superstitions to succeeding generations, and there came to be formed definite and distinctive racial types with fixed governing principles. Governments of a kind were set up, order was created, but with the accumulation of property and increasing wants, conflicts occurred and the strong despoiling the weak. Alliances for defense and offense were formed. Agreements between rulers and subjects and forms of treaties with nations brought about a more and less defined code of conduct and law invariably enforced to the benefit of those who held the power. Now, government by autocracy. Selfish and often cruel leaders preyed upon the weak and ignorant in the accomplishment of their ambitious designs. Hmm, kind of sounds like the cabal to me. Autocracy held power through appeal to the emotions engendered by pomp and glitter of the court or by fear created through control of military forces and the means of livelihood. Huh. Now, by various methods, the right of citizenship were confined to the prescribed limits dictated by will. And that's in quotes, by the way. And then next to the word will, you'll actually have, there's a word in parentheses, force. Until increasing intelligence within the ranks of the people began to exert a counteracting influence. Excuse me. Now, the historical development of the ancient liberties of the English people establishing individual rights began with the meeting of King John and the barons on the field of Runnymede in 1215 AD, where the Magna Carta was signed, which guaranteed rights beyond the power of the king to take away. Let me reread that. The historical development of the ancient liberties of the English people established individual rights began with the meeting of King John and the barons on the field of Runnymede in 1215 AD, where the Magna Carta was signed. Now, before we get to the 1215, I'm going to stop right there. What happened? What, why was the Magna Carta signed? 
let's rewind back to the year 1213 AD. There was this thing called the Treaty of Verona, which basically uh, the Pope at that time laid claim to all the land and all souls of the, of the world. That was 1213 AD. And so then this kind of led to the signing of the Magna Carta. So continuing on. So where the Magna Carta was signed, which guaranteed rights beyond the power of the king to take away. Now, by successive steps in protection of these rights came the Act of Parliament, which was in 1295, Petition of Rights in 1628, and then Habeas Corpus Act of 1679, Bill of Rights 1689, and the Act of Settlement 1701. These liberties did not originate with charters, but were simply confirmed by them and made the fixed principles of freedom. Restrictions of government on the life of the people created caste, favoritism, and taxation became oppressive, and men left Europe and came to America. Now, government of laws. Until the adoption of the Constitution government, excuse me, until the adoption of the Constitution, Government was imposed by the will of the minority and enforced by absolute control of economic institutions and military forces. Under the Constitution, a government of laws and not of men was formulated out of the experiences of the centuries in which feudalism, despotism, autocracy had given form to the ruling forces of government. Now, sources of the Constitution. Now, the underlying principles of the Constitution were not formulated in a day. The three great American charters of liberty contain the fundamental principles of a great American government, Bill for Establishing Religious Freedom in Virginia, the Virginia Bill of Rights, and Declaration of Independence. Before the Constitutional Convention met in Philadelphia, many plans and suggestions were drafted and presented to the convention. In addition to this careful preparation, after more than a century of self-government, there were in the convention men of extraordinary natural ability and wide experience like Washington, Franklin, and Hamilton. There were men who had studied law at the Inner Temple of London, who had been educated in the University of Edinburgh, who had been graduated from American colleges, who had been governors of states, chief justices of Supreme Courts, and men who had achieved distinction at the bar in and in business life. Edmund Burke stated in the House of Commons in March 1776 that more books of law were going to America than any other kind. Of the 55 members of the Constitutional Convention, 31 were lawyers. Blackstone's commentaries were taught by Chancellor Wythe in William and Mary College before the Declaration of Independence. John Marshall, Thomas Jefferson, and James Monroe were among his pupils. Now, when our Constitution was written, Harvard College... 1636, had been sending out educated young men for just a century and a half, and William and Mary College in 1693 had been graduating learned youths for almost a century. Yale College had been contributing, and back in 1701, had been contributing to the education of people for more than three quarters of a century, and Princeton, since 1746, had been teaching for half a century. And the people were well prepared for their great endeavor 
And this was all by Thomas James Norton, a quote by Thomas James Norton. Now, the purpose of government. Now, a correct understanding of the purpose of government furnishes a remedy for erroneous and dangerous ideas threatening this country. Government is instituted for the common benefit, maintaining order and protecting life, liberty and property. Let me reread that because that is very important that people grasp this. Government is instituted, which by the way, instituted by an assembly of people, by the men and women, okay, is instituted for the common benefit, maintaining order and protecting life, liberty and property. I would venture out to say as a sidebar, none of that is happening with our corporate government, guaranteed. Continuing, to secure liberty is the main business of governments and the reason for their institution. That was by Blackstone. Now, as we talk about paternalism, the paternalism of communism, which provides both property and subsistence for the individual, is not a proper function of government. It results only in individual irresponsibility. In the preamble to the Constitution, the preamble to the Constitution is the most accurate and comprehensive statement of the purpose of government. It explicitly sets forth the fundamental purposes for which government is primarily organized, the the brevity, simplicity, and directness of its original draft after 150 years of experience require no change. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, we the people, now this is from, this is a preamble to the Constitution, or excuse me, yeah, the Constitution. Now, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America, preamble to the Constitution. Now, we the people, the convention, which met in Philadelphia in 1787, adopted a Constitution based upon the proposition that a people are able to govern themselves. And under the Articles of Confederation, the state assumed control. Let me repeat that. Under the Articles of Confederation, the state assumed control. A single state might exercise veto power over the will of all the others. In the government set up under the new constitution, the power and rights of the people are the source and final authority. Hmm. Let's reread that one too. In the government set up under the new constitution, the power and rights of of the people are the source and final authority. People need to remember that today. I don't know why that's such a hard concept. It derives its just powers from the consent of the governed. For the first time in human history, the people assumed control and government became subjects to their will. Now, nowhere is American independence and self-reliance better exemplified than in the words, we the people. According to Patrick Henry, this is a quote by Patrick Henry, the people, the highest authority known to our system, 
from whom all institutions spring and upon whom they depend formed it. Excuse me, that was by President Monroe. This one's by Patrick Henry. Excuse me. That first quote, again, was by President Monroe. This quote's by Patrick Henry. Its language, we the people, is the institution of one great consolidated national government of the people of all the states, instead of a government by compact with the states for its agents. Now, as we talk about a more perfect union, now in the original federation, the states were but loosely joined. The Constitution was a demand for more effective control of the union by the government. In the efficacy and permanency of your union of government for the whole is indispensable. You have improved upon your first essay, which is the Articles of Confederation, by the adoption of the Constitution of Government. For the efficacious management of your common concerns, indignantly frown upon the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest or to enfeeble the sacred ties which now link together the various parts. And that was in Washington's farewell address. Now, in the course of the Civil War, the southern states sought to dissolve our union, and President Lincoln sought to preserve our union. Now, the states, now according, okay, so this was according to Abraham Lincoln in a message to Congress July 4 of 1861. Now, you got to remember what happened in 1861. If you're in the assembly, you should know this. Now, this is, let me just read this. So the states have their status in the union, and they have no other legal status. The union and not themselves separately procured their independence and liberty. The union is older than any other, any of the states, and in fact created them as states. Again, that was by Abraham Lincoln, which was a message to Congress, July 4 of 1861. Now, the right of succession was forever settled by the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which declares all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. The national government is not an assemblage of state, but of individuals. To refuse alliance to the United States is to be a traitor to the nation. However, in the dual capacity of citizenship, we render service as citizens of both the state in which we hold legal residence and the United States. Each of our 48 states retains its own sovereignty in all matters relating exclusively to state affairs in which it is protected by its own constitution. In all interstate, national, or international affairs, both the citizen and the state owe allegiance to the Union. This is very important stuff, people. If you're starting to get involved with the Assembly, you might want to pay attention especially to this section. Now, as we talk about justice, our government assures justice in that it is a government of laws, 
not of men. In the heat of passion or sectional interest in clashes between groups or questions of policy, no minority or bloc may enforce its will. Should a majority seek to injure the rights of an individual citizen, the power of veto resting in the president or the power of the Supreme Court as an unbiased tribunal will insist that justice be done. A series of checks and balances which prevent the selfish interest of either individuals or groups from exercising their will to the injustice of another is provided by the Constitution. Now, James Madison said, whenever there is an interest in power to do wrong, wrong will generally be done and not less readily by a powerful and interested party than by a powerful and interested prince. And Thomas Jefferson said, in questions of power, then let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief to the chains of the Constitution. Wow, that's actually pretty powerful. Let's reread that one. In questions of power, then let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief to the chains of the Constitution. There is a reason, ladies and gentlemen, this is a sidebar. I'm not reading right now. There's a reason why they changed the Constitution and they took that word of the United States, or excuse me, for the United States, and changed it to of, the Constitution of the United States. It should have been the organic Constitution is the Constitution for the United States. And that was the organic Constitution that should have bound our public servants from abusing their powers. It basically, like it says right here by Thomas Jefferson, it binds them down from mischief to the chains of the Constitution. But because that one little simple word change it allowed them to do so much more to manipulate that document. And basically, in other words, unbinded them. So basically, in a nutshell, they could do whatever the hell they wanted. I'm just being very point blank and blunt. And so, as we discussed excuse me, domestic tranquility. Now, at the conclusion of the Revolutionary War... The colonial states were bankrupt. Now, foreign credit was exhausted and could not be reestablished until a responsible central government was created, and soldiers remained unpaid long after the war was ended. Colonies quarreled with each other over duties imposed upon the goods sold or bartered. Chaos and anarchy, disillusion, and despair prevailed, all because of a lack of proper organization and power in government. The government established under the Articles of Confederation defrayed all expenses out of the common treasury to which each state was supposed to contribute. But this was done in full only by New York and Pennsylvania. All non-enforceable obligations were left to conscience, individual, or collective. Domestic tranquility requires a measure of enforced responsibility, mutual faith, and harmonious and prosperous conditions. These are provided under the Constitution through the powers conferred upon the national government regulating interstate affairs, making interchange of commodities, communication, transportation, and freedom of residence, occupation, and industry equal to all. Now, as far as domestic tranquility, domestic tranquility is further assured by religious freedom. 
free speech and free press, thereby establishing interchange of thought, which results in the creation of a national public opinion and brings within its influence every citizen, regardless of race, religion, financial condition, or social qualification. Now, as far as common defense, a country worth fighting for to establish was worth fighting for to preserve. Now, as it states in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, the Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, impose and excise excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and welfare for, of the United States, to declare war, grant letters of mark and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on the land and water to raise and support armies, but no appropriation of money to that shall be for a longer term than two years. To provide and maintain a navy, to make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces, to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, to suppress insurrections and repel invasions, to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia. Again, that was in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8. Now, attention is especially called to the limited period of two years as the length of time to be covered by any appropriation of money for the military forces. Now, without the consent of the people through their representatives in Congress, any army created would fall to pieces for lack of funds. A great deal is said about the effort to militarize America through carrying out the provisions of the National Defense Act of 1920. Now, this act was created by the people for the people to be paid for by the people. It can be killed by repeal or by refusal to make necessary appropriations. In the last analysis, the people are the military forces, excuse me, in the last analysis, the people are the military force of the United States. Their employees, the regular army, National Guard and organized reserves are working for them and in absolute obedience to rules and regulations laid down by their agent, the Congress. Let me stop there for a moment. This right here should be very much proof in the pudding with the Assembly of People, the reseated Congress that has been sitting vacant since 1861, starting with the Michigan General General Assembly, followed by the Alaskan General General Assembly, and soon to be the Hawaiian General General Assembly, and many other states to follow. That receded Congress by the, for and of the people, okay, I'm going to tell you right now, we are now actively in charge of our military. We have our militias, but we also have our military that is under our control. But again, as I have said before in the past and other shows, we are not calling up the major top brass in the military say, this is what you're going to be doing today. No, they know what they're doing. We put out what's called 21 requisitions. 14 of the 21 are completed. Seven are actively being carried out as we speak. But again, let me reread this. This act was created by the people for the people to be paid for by the people. So it can be killed by the repeal or by the refusal to make any necessary appropriations. Now, in the last analysis, the people are the military force of the United States let me repeat that. In the last analysis, the people are the military force of the United States. Their employees, the regular army, 
National Guard and the organized reserves are working for them and in absolute obedience to rules and regulations laid down by their agents, by their agent, the Congress. It's very important that you grasp that concept, people, especially if you're in the assembly. And if I'm saying anything incorrect, I know Destry Payne is listening in. He'll probably put on some corrections here, but I'm pretty sure that's exactly how I'm interpreting this. Now, continuing on, the United States is not salacious. It never has been. About the methods or ways in which that protection shall be accomplished, whether by formal treaty stipulation or by formal convention, whether by the action of judicial tribunals or by that of military force. Now, protection, in fact, to American lives and property is the sole point upon which the United States is tenacious. And that was a quote by William M. Everts in 1878. Now, as we talk about general welfare, the United States is a family of commonwealths. Each state is possessed of its own natural resources in the development of which it is necessary for its own best interest to have the full cooperation of every other state in exchange of raw materials, finished products, and farm produce. Its great land areas and mighty rivers are frequently the concern of several states or of the entire nation. It is within the power of Congress to appropriate funds for constructing canals, rivers, harbors, development, and control irrigation projects where more than one state is interested, hard roads, and postal service to regulate communications and transportation and through its various departments perform such other services as will result in benefit to all citizens. Now, this is not paternalism. But that protection of person and property, which enables the citizen to obtain the greatest possible return in the exercise of his own initiative. And then we talk about the blessings of liberty. To secure the blessings of liberty was the fundamental purpose of the makers of the Constitution and its subsequent adoption. They include all the rights and privileges that a citizen of this country enjoys, a voice in the government, freedom to worship according to the dictates of the individual conscience, freedom of speech, and of the press, and the lack of restriction upon all inherent individual rights. The liberty of America is not that which permits the individual citizen to do as he pleases. He may so long as he does not interfere with the liberty of others. The liberty of the individual ends where the rights of others begin. And I think that's why you always hear Andrew Wilkow on his show on the Patriot Radio, you know, on the, you know, the Wilkow Majority on the Patriot Channel on XM, Sirius XM. He always has a saying. Um, and if I'm probably watch, I'm probably going to botch it now, but I think if I recall correctly, he always says, you know, your right to be you also includes my right to be free from you. I've always liked that. Your right to be free, you know, to, you know, your right to be free, you know, your right to be free to be you includes my right to be free from you. Absolutely it. You can do whatever you want, as long as what you're doing does not interfere with my life, my liberty, or the liberty of my family and others. The liberty of the individual ends where the rights of others begin. Absolutely. And so, as Abraham Lincoln said, we all declare 
for liberty, but in using the word, we do not all mean the same thing. With some, the word liberty may mean for each man to do as he pleases with himself and the product of his labor, while with others, the same word may mean for some men to do as they please with other men and the product of other men's labors. Here are two not only different but incompatible things called by the same name, liberty. And see, let me pause here for a second. This is what the, this is what the, uh, and I'm not going to even say the left because the left, it, you know, there's a lot of rhinos and, 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 you know, we'll just, we'll just call it for what it is. Evil elitist, left and right. This is what they do with word magic. They take definitions from the Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, which were typically, you know, some of the most important definitions were ranked number one, number two, number three. And as we get into present day, they took those top definitions, pushed them down to the bottom, took the bottom definitions and raised them up to the top, basically creating confusion and diluted words down for the little word magic play that they do. And so it follows that each of the things is by the respective parties called by two different and incompatible names, liberty and tyranny. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you think you're seeing today? Are you seeing liberty with the corporate government? Or are you seeing tyranny? It's a very simple question. Do you think we are, we are experiencing liberty? Or tyranny? What did we experience in 2020? I don't know about you, but it sure as hell didn't feel like liberty to me. Didn't feel like freedom to me. If you complied, I personally didn't care. The shepherd drives the wolf from the sheep's throat, for which the sheep thanks the shepherd as his liberator, while the wolf denounces him for the same act as the destroyer of liberty. Again, that was all by Abraham Lincoln there. Now, the blessings with which the citizen enjoys under our form of government are secured through liberty under law, the enforcement of which is their only safeguard. The purpose of our government, listen, is to protect, not to provide, the property of its citizens, to guard his person, not to provide his substances while he acquires the means of livelihood to give every citizen equal opportunity in his chosen work and assure him of equal standing before the law. Our government is the most nearly perfect of all in securing individual rights and ensuring the blessings of liberty. In no other nation is equal opportunity and equal protection assured with such equal division of reward for labor and services rendered. And so the American philosophy of government, the American philosophy of government emphasizes that, one, individual rights are sacred, and it is necessary to establish a government in the protection of those rights. Two, all powers of government are derived, listen up people, all powers of government are derived from the people. That's us, we the people in assembly, who retain the supreme authority over all delegated powers of government. Listen to that one right there. I cannot stress this enough. Forgive me for getting a little bit passionate. People, you need to learn this, and you need to pass this podcast around. 
Educate yourself. I'm going to reread number two again. All powers of government are derived from the people who retain the supreme authority of all delegated powers of government. I'm going to read that a third time because it's worth reading a third time. All powers of government are derived from the people who retain the supreme authority over all delegated powers of government. Let that sink in for a moment. Number three, individual rights are not permitted excuse me, individual rights are not permitted to be exercised in the contravention of the rights of society. Individual liberty is always bounded by social obligations. Number four, government is exercised for the purpose of protecting the individual in his rights. Sidebar, I'm pretty sure the corporate government here is not interested in protecting the individual in their rights. If anything, they are interested in stripping your rights. But guess what? Our rights are unalienable. They can't be taken away, nor can they be given away. <sighs> Number five, governmental powers are delegated to the national, state, or local authority and are limited in their exercise by provisions of the Constitution as interpreted and defined by the Supreme Court. Ah, Industry was just saying, I think to my last point, I think it was number four, government is exercised for the purpose of protecting the individual, individual and his rights. And he says, correct. Unfortunately, that does not apply to a foreign banker-owned corporation. That's correct because they operate under a whole different set of rules and standards and you know they just have their own they have their own game they don't operate under the original founding documents and 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 rules that was you know ordained by god if you will number 6 all rights not thus delegated are recognized as the inviolable right of the individual citizen and cannot be usurped by any governmental power the government of the United States is not a democracy, but a republic. Hello, where have we seen this? I think this was written way in the beginning of this uh, field training manual. And I'd like to put this out there to people like Donald Trump and General Michael Flynn and who else out there. There's been a few others out there that keep like to keep calling this nation a democracy. We are not a freaking democracy, gentlemen. And please come on my show if you're hearing this. I know I'm a nobody. You might not be hearing anything of this show. But if you have a staffer, if there's a staffer that's listening to this, you need to understand we are not a democracy. We are a republic. And I think you need to read this field training manual 2000-25. Why do people with these household names, and yes, I'm going to call it out General Michael Flynn. I respect you, sir, and I salute you. President Donald Trump, Commander-in-Chief, I should say, Donald Trump. We are not a democracy, but yet I still hear these words being uttered out of your mouths. Why? Why? I really would like to have an answer to these questions, to that question. Why do you utter the words 
democracy. We have to protect this democracy. We are not a democracy. As Destry was just writing on the chat board, only the foreign 1871 contracted corporation and their actors in our offices have a democracy. Yeah, that's right. They do. I mean, but but then while they're talking about this, then why? Okay, so they're talking about so they're talking about their corporate government. Then they're not talking about the true republic. Because let me tell you, I tell you, this whole thing gets really irritating with me. And and forgive me for getting on a sidebar from this reading here. I mean, we're almost done. In fact, let me just finish this off, and then I'll continue on my sidebar. But number six, all rights not thus delegated are recognized as the inviolable right. Of the oh, actually, I already just read all that. I'm sorry. Yeah, because it ends with number seven, and then gets into the questionnaire. So that really is the end. Yeah, the government of the United States is not a democracy, but a republic. I tell you what, that it straight up burns my butt. It burns my butt when you get people that are huge household names, and people listen to every single word and hang on to every single word that they speak. And yet they still tout this nonsense of a democracy. Forgive my language, ladies and gentlemen, but that straight up pisses me off. And it creates a lot of confusion for a lot of people out there, a lot of men and women who know this country, this nation to be a republic. But yet these individuals like Trump call it a democracy. Why? And yeah, Destry, you do make a good point. Yeah, and we have to remember. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a good point. Having to remember and ingrain into our heads that they are foreign from us. Foreign, all capital letters. Yes, and that's exactly what DC is. It is foreign. You can't say that really enough. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's a very, very complex situation that we're in, ladies and gentlemen. It really is. But this is one of the reasons why we need to read these documents and why we need to read the field training manual 2000-25. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that we need to learn and remember. And I guess, yeah, an odd patriot was just saying on here, they use the word democracy because they know they are of the corporation and it, within their corporate government, you know, co- corporate government. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Odd Patriot. Yes, you're absolutely right. They probably act, you know, in a democracy. But in a true sovereign nation and a true sovereign America, we the people, we are the republic, the republic returning back to original jurisdiction. And yes, um, he was saying, let's see, Destry was saying, our republic has been vacant until 2010. Yes. And this is why I'm going to say this. I'm not going to mention his name, but if he's a big name, I've mentioned him before. But he was just, I was just listening to a podcast of his just a few days ago. He was, again, continuing to say, and I'm going to correct it. In fact, no, I'm just, I'm just going to go out there and say it. Yeah. Scott on Bards FM was, again, saying on his show, and I'm not going to play a clip, but I'm just going to go out there and say he is continuing to say that the Republic is dead and that the grave has long been buried, that, that the Republic is long gone. No, it's not. 
the Republic had been gone for quite some time up until 2010. But yes, we are slowly filling the vacant seats that are internal. Can you say resurrection? The Republic is not gone and buried for good. That's not, he's wrong. I'm going to continue to say that. And if there's any little trolls out there that are little sympathizers to Scott's show, and you keep in mind, I'm going to tell you right now, keep in mind, be very careful what you put in the comment section because it, I'll tell you right now, I'll put you on blast because he does the same thing. But I'm going to correct the record. The Republic is not dead. And if you want to hear validation of that, I suggest you go reference the podcast that I did. You can go to hisheartline.com and you can go click the National Assembly link at that website and scroll down. I think it's toward the bottom where it is an exchange. It's a conversation. There's back channel communication between the reseated Republic, the de jure Republic and General Dudford and other military members. I highly suggest listening to that podcast. Very important. But a Republic is not buried and gone. It is in the process of being resurrected and it is going to be alive and well here in short order. A democracy is mob rule. A democracy leads to socialism. Socialism leads to communism. And guess what? You can't vote your way out of communism. I'm going to tell you right now. It leads to a bloody revolution. And that's not what we're going to get into because guess what? We do this peacefully as the receded Congress in the Assembly. While the de facto corporate foreign government sinks, guess what rises? The de jure. We just need more people involved in the state assemblies. And it's very simple. I'm going to keep this as simple and as basic as possible. And then we're going to close this out because I have to be up at 2 a.m. But if you're listening to this, we need more people in all 50 states, in your state and county assemblies. How do you do that? You can visit www.national-assembly.net. You can find there's a conference call. It's a very easy site to navigate. Find the conference call every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Guests can call in with questions and find out what's going on in their state. Or if you want, you can email me at jmjdirect at protonmail.com, jmjdirect at protonmail.com or at hisheartline.com. If you want a quicker response, protonmail.com is the one that goes right to my phone. But it's very, very easy. When you become an assembly member, what you're doing is you are making yourself uh, available as a jurist for the 
original for, for, for the assembly. So for the de jure republic. So when crimes against humanity, when we have uh, trials that will take place against these tyrants and these evil people for crimes against humanity and treason and sedition, we're going to need a lot of people to cycle in and out for these pools of jurists that we're going to be needing. It's basically your jural covenant of office. That's it. Now, if you decide to take the calling further and you're, you know, um, nominated for an, a, a position in office or, you know, or elected and whatever, and you so choose to accept such calling, wonderful. Take, take your responsibility as an American and, and, and proceed forward with whatever God is leading you to do. But at the bare minimum, just be available as a jurist for the de jure Republic, because, you know, just like you would be, you know, get a mailer in, in the mail to be, you know, picked for jury duty in the de facto, this is different. This is something that you were not just randomly selected because that's what the de facto wants you to do, but you, you are taking an active role by signing yourself up as a jurist for the de jure republic. So when these, when these trials do impanel against these people who have committed tons of crimes against humanity, and you got to remember, like Destry was saying, there's over 80,000 sealed indictments, and they all need counties, and we all need their lawful jurors to deal with them. We need more people. So that's all it is, is just make yourself available as a jurist and self-educate yourself. How do you do that? Just keep, go read through all the documents and founding documents and the foundational, you know, um, documents that give us standing in the national-assembly.net website. Go to hishardline.com. Listen to all the key podcasts under the National Assembly tab and the EDU spot. Listen to all that. Self-educate yourself. But we need more people. Email me and I will get you in contact with the proper people in your local state. Because you got to remember, we can't rely on Trump. We can't rely on a... General Michael Flynn or a Mike Lindell. We can't rely on Greg Phillips with his pit. We can't rely on Cash Patel. We can't rely on the military solely. We can't rely on Donna Brandenburg. We can't rely on anybody individual. You know who we have to rely on? We have to rely on ourselves and each other. There's no superhero. We have to do it for ourselves. You are the superhero. So cape up and let's go. That's all I got for the day. I hope you all have a, a wonderful day or a wonderful night wherever you're at in the world. And we will be back here tomorrow. Have a blessed night, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>